push a tea. He brings out the Aveeno cleanser. Yeah. He's just like, listen, every time I go anywhere, I stop by a CVS, I get myself a bottle of these, and I try to get it through TSA. But then also Kiehl's moisturizer. The dude knows something about moisturizer, and he says that those might be the two secrets to why people tend to think he's younger than he actually is. I mean, like, look at that man, his skin do be popping. It's good. What's happening? I'm writer, researcher, and professor, Dr. Regina Bradley. I'm music journalist, Christina Lee. From WABE and PRX, this is Bottom of the Map, taking hip hop conversation in a new direction. episode 20 season one and i feel like or we all feel like this is an appropriate season finale yes this idea of self-care mm-hmm. 101 because ciao we over here insert <laughs> some like ohms here like ohm something you know yeah you know, you know. singing bowls they be talking about <laughs> with yoga and all of that you know uh-huh. we need we need all of them so uh that's what we're talking about, Miss Chris. We're talking about self-care, particularly self-care as it relates to how we think about the culture, the Southern hip-hop culture. Chris, real shit, like, what, what is your definition of self-care? What do you think that means? You know what? I hadn't really thought about self-care and what that means until the most recent presidential election. Really? Because I think that's when it became like mainstream mainstream Mm. right i don't know uh i would i would love to hear your perspective on this but that was the first time that i really thought about it because all of a sudden when donald trump was elected president it's like (laughs) we were presented every coping mechanism that you can imagine Mm -hmm. you know like swaddled yourself in this blanket you know turning off social media because donald trump is our social media president all of a sudden everything became a form of self-care and then i was like wait a minute so yes i should include this in my regime but I also kind of don't know what this is. So it feels like this really nebulous form of health and wellness that evolves like self-preservation, but it seems like our definitions widely vary. But that's when I became familiar with it. When did you become familiar? When I turned 35. Oh, um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Lizzo brought up a really good point when she was like, self-care is not always like candles and baths and crystals and stuff like that. I mean, like it really is an act of preservation. And I really Mm -hmm. love that is Mm -hmm. that, you know, in this day and age, it is increasingly more difficult to maintain a sense of self, a sense of self-preservation, particularly for people of color. Let's Mm -hmm. keep it all the way 100. Well, obviously we have Audre Lorde to thank for like our definition of self-care, where she said in a burst of light that caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Listen. And I do think that that still informs what self-care is and Mm -hmm. how that sort of comes to play out in hip-hop because there is this understanding that there are some folks in America who face more adversity than others. And so when you are in the face of gender discrimination or in the face of racism or for Audre Lorde, she was a black lesbian poet, you have to remind yourself that health is your absolute biggest priority. You have to take care of yourself before you could take care of anybody else. I think that the Audre Lorde quote is beautiful to kind of transition to this next part is learning the distinction between the hustle and the grind. Mm-hmm. With the hustle, there's an end game. There's some kind of goal. It's like you're, you're 
working this hard towards a particular goal and you're trying to achieve that goal and you're allowing yourself to achieve that goal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas with the grind, there's no end in sight. You know, when you think about trap music, for example, folks talk about it like grind music. Like trap wasn't supposed to be like a stepping stone to a better life. I mean, it is exactly what it said it is, right? It's like there's one way in, one way out. I do this shit because I have to. I have to survive. But then you have trap rappers who kind of like take that idea of the grind and, and level it up so like you know mm -hmm. like a tip for example mm -hmm. who's like nah this is a hustle you know mm -hmm. what i mean there's a reason that his company is called grand hustle he has a end goal inside of mine any thoughts on that i think with the grind you associate it with those times where you still have to like continuously like prove yourself. And mm. I think that's played out in really interesting ways. Like I think about Gucci Mane. Gucci. The fact that like when he was in jail, he still put it upon himself to release dozens of mixtapes like mm -hmm. during his different sentences because he wanted to keep his name out there. Mm -hmm. But a hustle is different. You know, a hustle is looking out into the future and looking past what might be rock star ideals, what might mm. get you into the 27 Club, if you're familiar with that, mm. and saying like, listen, like if I'm in this for like the long haul, what is it that I have to do in order to take care of myself to make sure that I am able to, you know, see it to the end? I mean, like for the folks who are uninitiated, 27 Club is what? The 27 Club is this mythical concept for those who are living the rock star lifestyle, whether mm -hmm. that's like a Kurt Cobain or like an Amy Winehouse, mm -hmm. it's like because Jimmy of Hendrix. all, yeah, Jimi Hendrix, because of all the sex, drugs, and excess that people typically associate with the music lifestyle, mm -hmm. they burn out and then they, they pass way before, you know, their prime. Or sometimes they, some folks will say that they also collapse under the weight of their own genius. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the, you have this like expectation. And I think that goes back to like Southern hip hop as an industry. Like we're in this like immediate gratification era where we're like, oh, OK, you gave us this album last week. What's next? Like, you know, I've been working on this shit for the last. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't we don't give people room to be able to like stop and breathe, which is like we we don't know how to to rest. And I feel like that's such a complicated or complex interweb of thing historically, socially. I'm thinking about like, you know, folks of color, particularly black folks coming out of the South. I mean, labor is foundational to how folks identify Southerners. From the slave labor up until like prison camps, up mm -hmm. into, you know, sharecropping. There has always been some aspect of work that has been associated with a Southern black experience. And mm -hmm. I feel like that continues into Southern hip hop. So whether you listening to like a Dre on Get Up, Get Out, where he's like, he's the age of 13, he's at the loading docks. He's working at the loading docks. Like remembering having friends who forged work signatures and work permits when they were only like 13 14 and like you had to be 16 i think to actually legally work because they needed the money the idea that you know there's no room to really like kind of sit down and reflect you know what i mean like self-care is also reflection like you reflect on where you at where you going where you been where you trying to go you set an intention mm -hmm. and i feel like self-care is actively setting intentions for your work. We should also really talk about how, not only how things of self-care actually play out into the music, but how notions of self-care play out in the public persona of these artists versus what they actually portray on record. Why men great so they gotta be great? Woo. I just took a DNA 
So we kind of talked about Lizzo a little bit with this idea of like self-love. Um, Truth Hurts is still my jam because the the remix with uh, the baby on it. <laughs> <laughs> like when he like his first like the opening of his verse like he took the DNA test and I was like yes King you took that DNA <laughs> test. I just took a DNA test and it told me I'm the realest pretty chocolate nigga out here with some good dick. No cap. And I can have a bitch from Harvard with an eight year degree. I probably still would rather pull up with a Let's go. Lizzo has really come to epitomize this era where we all sort of recognize what self-care is, right? Because like, you remember when coconut oil first came out? I remember back, back in school, when I wasn't cool. Shit, I still ain't cool, but you better make some room for me. I'm coming through with my crew at the rendezvous. Yeah, it's a party over here now. Yeah, it's a party over here now. If I knew then what I know now I give myself a souvenir for old time's sake Cause I got all that I need here And I'm good, yeah, yeah I thought I needed to run and find somebody to love But all I needed was some coconut oil Don't worry about the small things I know I can do all First of all, coconut oil has been a staple for so many people for generations now. <laughs> right, right, right. You know how they be like, with Frank's, I they put that shit on everything? Uh-huh. Coconut oil, black folks, we put that shit on everything. We put yeah. it on skin. We put it in hair. We use it, <laughs> yeah. we use it as skin repel- as insect repellent. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I mean, to me, that was when Lizzo really made herself apparent as somebody who could speak to this particular era of self-care, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. she's talking about looking to all these external forces for, like, validation, but at the end of the day, the coconut oil becomes symbolic for like just the nourishment just her being able to look mm-hmm. to herself and her own inner resources and being like you know what no I, got, I have everything that I need I have everything I need and I also just love the fact that self-care is just not for skinny ass people Oh, hell no. Right? No, I mean, like, that's, like, real shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we get in, like we're in this age now where, like, we're still dealing with ideas of body positivity, whatever that might mean, um, and, you know, kind of counter this idea of fat shaming, like, folks who are who are thicker than a snicker, got something wrong with them, and you be like, no, nah, no, nah, I just got a, got a little bit more to love. Self-love and self-care extends to everybody. It's, it should be a universal thing not just based on your body type absolutely you know what I mean but I mean a lot of folks have have gone to like fitness mm-hmm. you know as a means to reconnect with themselves to you know live a better life Jeezy comes to mind because <laughs> duh bottom of the map the man has become a, a runner I don't do running I, that is listen <laughs> That's not my thing. It's like good for Jeezy. Good for you know what? Yes, good for Jeezy. I can't. I can't even do it. I can't even do it because, like I said, the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but uh, Rick Ross also comes to mind. So he lost a little bit of weight. You know what I'm saying? Nobody told him to lose no weight, but he lost a little bit. And then he had that really scary uh, near death experience uh, last year, uh, where he talks about that on Port of Miami too with uh, I Still Pray. Rick Ross was reportedly hospitalized early Friday morning. Sources close to Rick Ross tell that he's been hooked up to a machine that's taking over the function of his heart and lungs. 
He's reported getting treatment in the cardiac unit, which is a strong sign that he could have suffered a heart attack that started as a respiratory problem early Thursday morning. He's hooked up to an ECMO, which is a form of life support. The story is still developing. Developing, 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 so him kind of talking about like, you know, I'm getting a second chance. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to squander it. You know, you said something about pears. Oh, I mean, he was doing an interview with, I believe, Tim Westwood. Again, just coming out from that health scare due to like a couple of seizures. He was saying shout out to the pear, as in the fruit. Rick Ross evaluated his diet a little bit. And this is coming from the guy when... Um, at the peak of his Rick Rossness, right? <laughs> when he was Teflon Don, people loved to obsess over what is it exactly that he was going to order that day because he liked to eat like a Don. He liked to treat himself like a Don. That mm. was his form of self-care at the time. It was like, how many slices of key lime pie am I going to order? Mm. You know, he after after that health scare, he did a little bit of uh, a reevaluation, mm -hmm, and now mm -hmm. he's a little bit fitter, a little happier. I'm going to skip the lobster tails. I want the chicken wings. I pray it come a day when everybody your president on Twitter while my people on the street. Yeah, you know who else who I will put in this conversation but folks will be like, really? I'll put Lil Wayne in this conversation for a couple of reasons. Okay. One, because if we think about self-care as an act of reflection, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So like when we're first introduced to Wayne, he's like what, 14, 15 with the hot boys and like 99 with the block is hot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then he has like the whole, like he has a whole mouthful of gold, right? Which is fine. But then like, you know, he does a little bit of time. He has to take those out. So like when he comes out with like six foot seven foot mm -hmm. with um cory guns you can hear the difference in his in his in his voice mm -hmm. um he's also had a lot of health scares like seizures yeah. and stuff like that so he's reevaluated. um he talks about those a, l a little bit on the carter five you know what i mean like when he's uh talking to him like he wrote himself a letter i was too busy to talk i wrote an open letter dear life I asked the reader, God bless the reader, dear life. What is my meaning, my reason? That's the question. Being able to recognize when you're getting these second chances, like being able to acknowledge that something might not be quite right or mm -hmm. being able to go through those things um, comes to mind. And another like more difficult idea of thinking about self-care is Scarface because Scarface is a mental health advocate. He tell, he tells you on his music, especially on the diary, he's like, you know, I deal with issues of depression, right? I deal with all these things. I mean, like, even if you think about like, uh, my mind is playing tricks on me by the ghetto boys, like Rodney Carmichael put that in a whole different light for me with his article where he's like, Over this is NPR. like a mental health. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is like a mental health awareness song, which I get because oftentimes, you know, we don't necessarily say the words mental health or depression or, or anxiety, you know what I'm saying? Or suicide ideation. But I mean, like being able to, use his music to work through those feelings that he had and then also being an advocate to be like let's talk about this shit you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying and being openly being able to do that makes mm -hmm. him definitely a part of this conversation about um self-care you yeah, know what I'm saying sure. for sure um and I think that's important too because I think previously these notions about talking about like health and wellness was kind of seen as like sort of like a hippie-like mentality. Mm -hmm, I don't know if that mm -hmm. makes any sense, but it was kind of like, oh, that's so granola. Yeah. Like when I listen to like a Arrested Development, like Ease My Mind, that's like the epitome of that because they're coming out like in the 90s. I need some time to ease my mind. 
Back then, I don't think we would have been able to articulate something like an Arrested Development song as advocating for like a self-care. Mm-hmm. You would have looked at it as something bohemian, as something a little bit hippie. But now I think our mores have changed, mm. you know, to where we recognize that like not only do we have the capacity to talk about the mental health issues that you're talking about with a Scarface, but that it's a really integral part of our self-preservation to make these moments for ourselves. I think it's just like a shift. Like, I don't know, it's like a societal shift, I guess. Because mm. I guess like back then, like Arrested Development to me sort of represents like the chicken soup for the soul era. Aww. And now everybody's doing it. <laughs> Whatever happened to them? Like, you know, you, th- that used to be a thing. Like, you would be like, oh, ah. hell yeah. You know, chicken soup for the grandma soul. Chicken soup for the trap boy soul. Chicken soup <laughs> for the teenage soul. Chicken soup I for the- I had chicken soup for the teenage soul. I did too. I did hell too. Hell yeah. And then, you know, now, you know, we have reality television and then it's chicken soup for the ratchet soul. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and meanwhile, Drake has a song called In My Feelings. Maybe that's- <laughs> Oh, here we go. <laughs> no, okay. that's it. That's all I got. That's all you got? That's all I got. So, I mean, like, you know, this idea of intentionally making room for oneself, regardless of how people see that space or how people see you, is very much part of the self-care that we don't see glamorized. I think that a lot of folks see that idea of self-care glamorized in such a way that, you know, you need all of these high-end things. And I'm not just talking about, like, a 2 chains, you know, world's most expensivest shit. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, I would like to try some of the world's most expensivest shit. But I think that, you know, it's interesting how it gets categorized according to the level of celebrity and the level of visibility that the person has. And they're like, oh, this is how you really self-care. Like, if you didn't know if you didn't know 2 chains and you still knew him as Titty Boy, mm-hmm. will we still be as invested in, oh, this is how he takes care of himself? He also has a regime with him when he goes on the... the the tour the bus. The tour, yeah, tell yeah, me about it. Yeah, so, I mean, so here's the thing with 2 Chains. When 2 Chains is arriving as 2 Chains, because he did have a past life as a titty boy being part of Player Circle, mm-hmm. signed to Disturbing the Peace, dude is well into his 30s, mm-hmm. and he's like, listen, there's some shit that I just won't put up with, mm-hmm. like beef and pork. Mm. The dude has acid reflux, so he was just like, that if I'm gonna- real, man. Listen, mm. he has acid reflux that he has to deal with. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then meanwhile, he's looking around himself and he's seeing that all these folks in these hip hop circles, like when they network, mm-hmm. it's bottle service. Mm. And he's taking a look around and he's like, you know what? No, I'm not a my. <laughs> I don't have to do that shit anymore. And I love that he, around the time that he is starting to Instagram like his healthy dinners, He's doing it at the same time as his album Boats 2, Me Time. If that ain't the epitome of self-care, I don't know what is. But mm-hmm. he was just like, listen, it's my, it's me time, bitch. So, like, right now we're going to... Do you remember that whole album campaign? Yeah, yeah. When he came out with, like, the cookbook and he was, like, mm-hmm. telling you this is how you can, you know, cook your salmon. This is how you can treat yourself with some side dishes Eat and some shit vegetables, like bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying. I'm saying. So, um, so I feel like that has been a really interesting aspect of his public persona where he came out as just being okay. Because like, I think in the past when we think about how food has been depicted in like hip hop, it's usually mm-hmm. in the really opulent bad boy style. I'm gonna have my fettuccine with my lobster tail and shit like that and just like kind of go all out. And T.J. is like, you know what? There are other ways that I could flex. Mm-hmm. But as far as my diet and my exercise regimen, I'm going to be reasonable. I mean, like, even in these discussions about the distinction between a big boy and an Andre, mm-hmm. one thing that keeps them together that folks probably don't recognize is that they both indulge in self-care. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Okay. Right? So Talk it's like, it. 
you know, that establishment of boundaries, I think, is a big reflection of a 3,000. You know what I mean? Like, he, he doesn't let folks push him into doing, you know, where's that album at? You know what I'm saying? He's like, it is what it is, right? I mean, like, you know, uh, Big Boy, you know, his is a little bit more uh, recognizable. You know what I'm saying? Like, he shows you that he's working out in his gym. Like, when he goes on tour, he's, you know, he's bringing his regime with him. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think that um, him being able to take a time out from this industrial life because he's been in the game for so long, like, it makes you wonder about ageism. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like ageism in in hip hop is like folks want to call it like a young man or a young person's game. And then we're getting to that era now where a lot of the folks that, you know, like a lot of us grew up on are now in those mid 40s, 50s. And we're just like, oh, but they still out here. But they're also out here on their own terms. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's not, they're not, I mean, like, yeah, they're out here because we want them out here, but it's also not just like, oh, well, where's the new album? Where's the, they're going to be like, hold on, hold the hell on. I'm here. I'm working. Let me just do this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was just Absolutely. like, I was just curious to hear your thoughts about like, you know, what role does age play and how we think about self-care in Southern hip hop? Uh, I think Fonte said it best, actually. Fonte from Little Brother. He mm-hmm. was saying that, you know, as hip hop gets older, he's going to be keenly interested in what these folks have to say and how that reflects their actual age. Mm-hmm. You know, because we talk constantly about how like we don't want to hear 40-something rappers try to rap like they're 20-somethings. So what is it, like, how are we going to be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's going to require vulnerability on Mm -hmm, their part. mm -hmm. And Fonte really did a great job on this, on his album, No News Is Good News, because he has a song on there called Expensive Jeans. I don't know if you've heard it, Mm. but Jeans is spelled G-E-N-E-S. Right. Seven days in a week, eat a steak, every plate is a feast. Watch your weight, no mistakes in the least, or else you too will dig a grave with your teeth. That I could fit in these expensive jeans, a waistline that'll rip the seams, and pharmaceuticals that sit between your heart medicine, cough medicine, blood thinners, and antihistamines. We got an ocean front view, but the scope is so limited. Cause young niggas be dying of old nigga shit. Wifey sleeping in the guest room, cause you snore at night. It's like 40 years old, it's three quarter life. Our biggest fears were shots and all robberies, not a big So, yeah, so like in expensive jeans, you know, it begins with him kind of like at the doctor's office, sort of talking about like, you know, all of a sudden his cholesterol is like looking high a little bit. You know, he's got to worry about stuff like blood clots and things like that. Very scary and very true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that and that's really huge because when you're young, when you're starting to enter the grind stage of rapping, all you really care about is like beating people's asses in this shit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, out rapping absolutely everybody. Um, but I feel like with no news is good news and with expensive jeans, that was a real turning point, not just for Fonte, but like this whole discussion about ageism and hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think it allows room for, for these conversations to actually like really take place. It's like, listen, this could be a medium to talk about all these other things. Um, it becomes a way for us to like consider, you know, just like our greater legacies and things mm. like that. And like, I think it's like really important to sort of see the scope of rap like really broadened in that type of way because that's the only way that you get narratives outside of the 27 club okay so like then we start to move away from that being like completely idealized and maybe folks will start to see like hey well you know what i can continue to rap maybe past 30 Mm -hmm. and i can use if i want to if i want to Mm -hmm. right um so i just thought that that was really important yeah i mean like legacy became a buzzword it started flapping around in my head because you know we talked about gucci Mm -hmm. but we can't end this episode while talking about you know the evolution of gucci oh my god so like gucci 2.0 
we were introduced to Gucci in a particular way, and now he has yeah. evolved. Much of that has to deal with his wife, Miss Keisha. Oh, hell yeah. You know, mm-hmm. being a part of that wives club, I see it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, you know, you, you help your, you your boob do better. Went through hell to get here, but I'm up now. And cold says I shed tears, but I'm up now. I was down for a second, but I'm up now. I had to turn my life around, yeah, I fell down. I went through hell to get here, but I'm up now. And cold says I shed tears, but I'm up now. It raises the question like, you know, how do we manage our expectations of artists as they ease out of their legacy that they initially established like or that legacy starts to change it, it's a tricky prospect and i'm not gonna sit here pretending that i know the answers but it is interesting to see gucci sort of wrestle with those questions in real time mm-hmm. and then meanwhile you have first day out the feds which was the debut single off of everybody looking and was also the spiritual sequel to first day out we expect that type of grind from gucci you know, for somebody to come out of jail being like, listen, I'm ready to grind, I'm ready, I'm back. And he's emerging as ever the villain he always was. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing about Gucci. Like, he, his whole persona was based around rock star lifestyle might might not make it. And it was also based around, you know, like excess, you know, the fact that he was like smoking a pound of reefer or, you know, drinking a pound of pint of lean, you know, all this other good stuff. That's a shitload of lean. It's a shit time. But that's how, you know, he comes out looking like a clone because he was he- constipated in the feds. So he, <clears throat> no, no, he talks about this in the autobiography of Gucci Mane. And it's a really the sobering lean experience. Him up. The lean blocked him up. Jesus. Now that Gucci's been out for like a couple years, I think he's finally starting to recognize that like, listen, I can't pretend that I was the super villain that I always was because I found that regimen, because mm-hmm. I found that regime. Because that works for him, that he could stick with. Right, right. That's important. And that's how you get a song like, look look at me now. So mm. that's off his most recent album, Delusions of Grandeur, where he's talking, where I Is that the one where he be like, he's all standing on the car and he's yes. showing off his six looking, pack? Looking like a fucking action figure. <laughs> listen, man. <laughs> His, his abs look like a fucking egg carton because it's not just six pack. It's like eight, 12. He's looking like fucking Usher out here. But like, I hope, man, you know what? I hope that he keep, whatever Miss Keisha won't, he better be like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No, exactly. And I think that's really important because I think in that album, he says for the, I think like the first time that I recall that he's actually sober. I've mm. never heard him actually say that like on record. Like I'm wow. sober now. Whatever that journey looks like, Gucci's figuring out on his own and I'm sure all the rappers are going to do the same. This is probably one of the most vulnerable episodes for Bottom of the Map for me because I'm going to, I think I think both of us are going to share stories about like what the difference is between hustle and grind. Back in a minute. Yo, you already know what it is. Big Rube, ATL, SWAT Zone 4, Southwest Atlanta, too strong, too shady. You listening to Bottom of the Map just like I do, just like I be. You know what I'm saying? And then none does but Florida. We out. My daytime job is I'm a professor, like I'm a college professor. I'm an extremely young college professor, extremely dope college professor. Um, first of all. First of all, I often talk to graduate students and folks who want to come up who are like, yo, how are you doing what you're doing? And I'm like, the biggest piece of advice that I can give to folks is you need to sit down somewhere. Like I was in school from the age of like three to like 29. You know what I'm saying? I went from pre-K, pre-K up to like 29th grade. <laughs> 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 it feels like 29th grade. But 
I often tell folks, like, I am still paying for the decision to go get a PhD. Because I literally wore myself down to a nub, like, dissertating. It was, like, day in, day out. I was reading, I was writing, I was thinking. I was trying to be a newlywed, right? Like, I just got married. I was trying to do these things. You know, I had a daughter. It was all of these things that were, like, you would think would take priority. But the thing about graduate school and the dissertation is that the dissertation doesn't give a fuck. Like, it's like... I'm your main bitch. Like, I'm your main, I'm your main everything. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't really care about your marriage. I don't really care about, you know, you trying to be mom of the year. None of that. Like, all I'm worried about is is me. You know what I mean? And the additional layer for me was that I was commuting back to Florida State because I was living in Atlanta. So it was like I was commuting back and forth. You know what I'm saying? And then on top of that, I graduated. That's great. But Shawty couldn't find a job. Like, mm-hmm. I was jobless. I was underemployed and that's being super nice about this shit like Mm -hmm. underemployed so then I finally was able to find a job it was in Savannah and my uh, my husband was like hell no we ain't moving to no Savannah but I mean I could respect that like he already had a good job here you know what I mean so it was me getting up on Tuesday mornings at 3 30 in the morning to get on the road by four o'clock to teach by nine after you know after that two and a half year commute between Atlanta and Savannah I got hired on at Kennesaw State as a full-time faculty member I still get to do things that I love. Like, I still get to teach African-American literature. I still get to teach my class on Outcast. So being able to do those things that I was doing in Savannah, but with less stress on my body because I didn't have to get up before dawn. And I'm just now starting to get over that. But I'm still dealing with, like, mystery digestive illnesses that, you know, went unchecked because I was super stressed. I I didn't give myself time to sit down and think. To the point now, I'm like, I don't know how the hell that I did this commute Mm-hmm. for so many years you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying um so I think that part of it is the grind yeah. the hustle part of it is me being able to do amazing shit like this podcast like oh. I did all of that work to be able to talk about southern hip-hop for an NPR station mm-hmm. right like being mm-hmm. able to be on Netflix being able to do like these different things that allow me to interact with people in such a great way but like I always am like don't get that shit twisted I didn't just all of a sudden get out and was like, oh, I'm going to talk about Outkast. It didn't work like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's my hustle versus that's grind man. story. You know what I mean? Like, basically, I work for all the shit that I got. And y'all don't even <laughs> y'all don't even know what is coming up next is a thing for Regina. Yeah. I'm telling you. Well, it's the same for, for Chris. So, I mean, like, I'm looking at that from, like, an academic perspective. But I mean, like, as a freelance journalist, too. Uh-huh. Like, there's a distinction. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, sure. would you be willing to share okay. what some of that what some of that looks like? Since the beginning of my career, I've held myself up to, if we're going to talk about the grind, mm-hmm. I've held myself up to Gucci Mane mixtape standards. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I think a lot of establishing your name out there is getting out as much as possible, churning out as much content as possible, as much as I hate that word content. Mm-hmm. And then also just, you know, you're privy to the scoop. That's the first thing you think about when you think about journalists is like, who's going to be first? Who's going to break that news first? Who's going to get that scoop first? Mm -hmm. And so like it operates at a breakneck pace. It doesn't really stop for anybody. That sort of mentality dictated a lot of my grind very, very early on, revolving around this idea that the news just don't stop for anybody. The news just don't rest for anybody. And even when it came to sort of figuring out who was coming out of the South. Because for a while, I felt like a lot of my grind was sort of dictated by who's going to be able to talk to X person first. Like, I think about how, like, when 
in the beginning of my career, being in Atlanta in particular, helped me stand out because that granted me more access to the type of artists that New York media was fascinated with from the get-go. It was a really big point of pride for me when, uh, before Migos went on their first big New York press tour, that I was able to get out a 1500 word profile about who these people are. And this is around the time where Atlanta hip hop in particular is really popping. Andre 3000 had done set the South off something to say, so now everybody's just trying to pay attention to everybody that's coming out from a two chains to, you know, Killer Mike and the advent of RAP music, literally everybody who you could think of. Like, who's going to be the first to really sit down and talk to this person? For me, that mentality dictated the grind aspect. It was mm -hmm, like, who mm -hmm. was going to be first? And then after a while, I was like, I just can't be first all the time. What I started to recognize is that I liked doing a particular type of work and it didn't necessarily always involve a breakneck pace because like I like to sleep, mm -hmm. honestly. Yes, Lord. <laughs> and um, I like being able to have like a little bit more room and a little bit more time to just like reflect. So I think what that looks like for absolutely anybody is just figuring out like what your strengths are and then recognizing that you can't absolutely do everything. It's about recognizing that I am my own boss mm. and would I let somebody else treat me the same way? The act of saying no is also probably like the best representation of self-care. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like folks in music could empathize as well, right? Because exposure dictates so much the initial hip hop grind. You um, you hear about producers like a Metro Boomin or a Sunny Digital just giving beats to people for free initially because mm -hmm. they're thinking... Well, my tag doesn't mean shit to anybody right now. So I'm just going to establish myself by like flooding the market and getting my name out there as much as possible. They're basically working with that mentality in mind, which is I have to build my name up. These are the sacrifices that I have to make. But then, of course, that leads to feelings of burnout later. You know, even though like they might make millions like way on down the road, you know, at the end of the day, it's like that is so much work that still doesn't get recognized to the degree that it deserves to be recognized. Mm -hmm. So I feel mm -hmm. like I feel like hip hop folks could really like sort of empathize with that. There's constant like bargaining with yourself over is this opportunity worth it or not? Miss Chris, I have beef. I know you don't eat beef, but fuck it. I got beef. <laughs> I got tofu. <laughs> I got tofu with you. What do we do? Because, because, you know, sometimes we like to go out in the city and meet and discuss our next moves, you know what I'm saying? And we went to Local Green, and, and I had to go to work, my real job, and I missed this guest, and I'm so in my feelings about it. Yeah, so after you left, we actually got to meet the owner of Local Green, who goes by Big Zach. Now, Big Zach, for those who don't know, like, his actual voice, like, you all know his hooks, because he wrote Sierra's Goodies, he wrote Jeezy's Bang, he wrote The Sixth clock song for Greg Street. Local Green is a big deal because it's Atlanta's current health hotspot. So anybody from Backbone to Carrie Hilson has made their way there and it's on their Instagram. And I mean, like, it's folks trying to get right. You know what I'm saying? Let's go inside Local Green and get ourselves a kryptonite smoothie. Check it out. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm Zach Wallace. Uh, we're at Local Green Atlanta in the heart of Vine City, on the on one block away from Martin Luther King on Joseph E. Lowry, uh, one mile from the Mercedes-Benz Stadium on the west side of Atlanta. This is one of the most historic neighborhoods in Atlanta. Martin Luther King went to Washington High School. Um, the Brunner Brothers was found in this, the first Brunner Brother building was in this building. Um, and we are um, basically a pescatarian, vegan, vegetarian, fast casual concept aimed at bringing healthier food to underserved communities. Come on in, good vibes. So as far as your career goes, like who were you in 2004? I was Big Zach, the songwriter, Big Zach, right? The songwriter to, um, I wrote, written Goodies, Sierra's first single um, that went, it sold four or five million albums. Um, Nelly, I'd written, written for Nelly on his, uh, we, I had a few plaques with him. We also did the Longest Yard soundtrack. So it's a lot of successful records, um, um, lifestyle, carb lunch lifestyle, travels, late nights, um, lack of sleep, lack of balance. That's what my life looked like. Um, lots of uh, pleasures and splurges and just you know that that life the thing that you bust your butt for and you try to emulate that you see the life people living on tv that was my life however you know i had sleep apnea yes and i'd be sleep and i hold my breath in my sleep and i wouldn't get a quality of sleep i did a sleep study test and i found out i would wake up you know, 40 times throughout the night. I would wake up unconsciously. So I've never, I would wonder why I'd be so sluggish, always feeling tired. And I ended up having to buy a CPAP machine. They put me on a CPAP machine and it was the best feeling. I felt like a kid all over again because I actually had a full night of sleep, a full night of rest. And I woke up fresh and, you know, un, unfoggy and, you know, and it was just the most awesome thing. And I realized I have to shake this. And they said, the only way you can do it is to lose weight. And so that was one of the things that also um, that also inspired me to lose weight because some people actually take that long breath and they don't get to take another breath. You know, and you hear about people dying and they sleep all the time. Um, but and nobody investigates that, by the way. When you hear about somebody dying and they sleep, you just say natural causes, and it's like go to the funeral and keep it moving. Like, when do we start investigating? As, as a culture, when do we start asking these questions that might be a little uncomfortable? Yeah. You know, and that's something that uh, I hope that my journey will uh, start to resonate to other people just yeah. because y'all know me from the music industry. You know me from Atlanta culture. You know me from all these different places and you've seen my journey. So, you know, hopefully this can help now help someone else do their thing as a hip-hop culture we can't we can't present the case that our whole thing was uncensorship freedom of speech right y'all can't censor us because y'all don't know our life y'all don't know our struggles but we can't say that and we ran her going to funerals natural causes right we can't say that and we're going to and everybody has health issues we can't say that big pun died of a heart attack we can't say that and not speak on that as well. So if we're gonna beat our bodies up with all the drinking, with all the, the lack of sleep, 
with all the um, – it just everything that we're doing that, to really tear our bodies down and not say in our right mind, in our right uh, healthy, uh, you know, uh, responsible mind state, say to people, man, you better drink some water. You better get some rest, bro. You got to do it all over again. Whether they're sleeping on a plane, whether instead of going to the club, like, you know, staying, staying out, going to the after hours, because everything in music is excess. Nobody really likes to repeat outfits, <laughs> right? Everything is excess. A lot of women, a lot of cars, a lot of jewelry, all the food you want, excess. That's all it is. So at some point, you know, rappers and entertainers have to be responsible and say, then do what Gucci Man did. Look, look what Gucci Man did. Look at the cause and effect of Gucci Man, and you could drop the mic. Well, I have a couple other questions, and it pertains to local green in particular. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the logic in naming some of these menu items after, like, you know, some notable songs and artists. Yeah, so let's run through it. All right, so Three Stacks Cauliflower Taco. That was my ode to Andre 3000. He was one of the first vegans that I personally knew in hip-hop. While we were doing all the excess stuff, he was like actually conscious enough to say, I'm not going to eat meat, right? And I was like, what? It sounds crazy. Yeah. So I had to do something dedicated to Andre. Yeah. Um, and everything we do is basically, it has, I like, I think the ideal... Um, title for me with a food item is when it's a double entendre or a triple entendre. Okay. So, right. So let's go three stacks for example. It's a cauliflower, grilled peppers, avocado. So we got a few stacks and layers of, you know, uh, produce, right? All right. But then it's also the first vegan, one arguably the best rapper of all times. The cell therapy. Cell Therapy, owed to the rawest song in hip-hop by a rap group to me. Yeah. Um, it, it was the, um, it was the like, um, poster child for, like, for the new Atlanta movement, right, was Cell Therapy, the song. You know, use that tool between your two shoulders. It was that. I wonder if the gates were put up to keep crime out or keep our ass in. That Cell Therapy, pay homage to Goody Mob. But then you turn around... And these antioxidants are really therapy to your cells, right? The, the berries, the strawberries, the, you know, the flax seeds, the shit, so we actually feeding your cells. So it's, it's, those are the best titles. Rapper's Delight, you know, you gotta look, you know, it's like those, I think those are the best titles when I really just nail it. But then other times it's just like, it'd be a Basquiat, like the veggie pizza, it's a work of art. Can I cuss on here? Yes. So you gotta mind fuck people too, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just the best, the best. They, they mind fucked us with dairy, right? right? With the white strip. Got milk. Bon- got milk, mm-hmm. healthy bones. Mm-hmm. When more people, you know, are iron deficient who drink milk, it's the, it's, it's the mind fuck. So I feel, like, um, I feel like it's okay to mind fuck people for a positive and a healthy vibration. The result, I think is, I think, I, I thank God to forgive me at the gates of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Like, I'm building an ecosystem with local green. Our team, we're building an ecosystem in food deserts. That where do you where do you get this food? Where do you provide the best vegetables for the community? I want to feed people what I eat at home. Unlike the owners of McDonald's and everybody else, all these fast food Popeyes and Chick Fil A and everybody else. No, no offense. Do y'all eat this every day? That's that's the honest question. 
do you eat your what you're selling every day can you eat it every day and live long would you let your kids eat it every day if you can't answer that if you can't answer yes to that then that means you're in on you know exactly what you're doing and you're a part of the problem so for for now for me we have to build an ecosystem that goes and gets the best produce local urban farms that are building up and, and harvesting i send all these people my produce list and i say i would prefer buying this from you because at least we're getting it locally at least people you know that come to the local green guests can actually say they they've eating local produce from a local farm that's farm to table you know and, and you know so if the more we can do that then the better you know the better we better off we all are So, I mean, like, ultimately, you know what I'm saying? Where does that leave us with, like, this idea of self-care? You know what I mean? Like, for me, I think about the significance of things like the NAP ministry. Have you heard of them before? The NAP ministry? N-A-P. The NAP ministry. What is that? So, it's a social media It's a social media campaign. Okay. Uh, well, for me, I was introduced to it through a social media campaign. Uh -huh. It's a black woman, and she's talking about how, like, we have all of these historical and social connections to, to work and grind and burning ourselves out because we are expendable. And she's like nope forget all that like i'm going to rest i'm gonna take this nap i'm gonna sleep these seven hours i'm gonna you know because the grind is overrated and it took me all of all of these years to realize hell yeah she right like i'm you know what good am i to anybody that i burn myself out which goes back to that audrey lord mm -hmm. quote about you know basically self-care being an act of warfare right yeah. like you know because we're seen as this expendable resource or this idea of labor and we don't put our ourselves and our needs first then we're doing us a disservice you know going back to that idea of legacy that we were talking about our legacy becomes a disservice because mm -hmm. it's like it's just as expendable as we are because they're like oh you know there'll be another you know regina there'll never be another regina but <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, there's like, oh, there'll be somebody who can take her place or do it better. But the nap ministry is so dope. And they're just like, no, for real, sit your ass down somewhere and rest and see how radical that shit is just to take a nap. What about for you? What What do you think, you know, Southern hip hop's role is in the legacy of ideas of self-care? So on one hand, I feel like there's some aspect of Southern hip hop that's always going to uphold that rock and roll standard. Mm. I mean, just because... You know, we live vicariously through this music and because capitalism exists and because, like, you know, we want to have, like, these sort of rock star idols in our life. But I am curious slash optimistic to see how these themes of self-care continue to play out in a Southern hip-hop because I mm. feel like this generation is more open to those ideas than maybe the previous ones. We're living in an age where... Like Janelle Monae's yoga sounds like something you would have played at a Soul Cycle class. You know, Ray Shrimmer's even saying that, you know, we're doing yoga. We're in the age post like Pharrell's Happy and things like that, where these notions aren't so like out of reach. Mm. Um, and they've been more accepted, I guess. Right, right. right. So I don't think those these notions are as taboo as they might have been in past hip hop generations. And I'm just really excited to see how we continue to explore those themes and how those themes expand on our notions as to what qualifies as Southern hip hop.
Thank you for listening to Bottom of the Map, brought to you by WABE and PRX. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It'll help more people find this show. Follow Bottom of the Map on your social media platforms at BOTMPod. Again, that's BOTMPod. Bottom of the Map is hosted by Christina Lee and Dr. Regina Bradley. Produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Edited by Stephen Key. Executive producers, Jan Berry and John Hawes. Ayanna Taylor is our project manager. Our theme music is produced by Smith and Cash. Special thanks to Mike Johns and Lois O.G. Reitzes. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Follow, subscribe, connect. Holla. From the steps of the Woodruff Library in the AUC, I love you, Roy.